If you've got a fever and the only cure is more hearts and carts, boy, do we have the thing for you, Alex? We are going to be doing a live recording at CHFA West on March 31st from 12 to 1. So if you're at the show, come find us, join the audience, and come meet us. Looking forward to seeing you. No hecklers, please. Spend that time finding a good mentor to help you understand how to build a business model, to understand what it means to talk about a path to profitability, to understand what it means to talk about cost of goods. Welcome to Hearts and Carts, the CPG podcast, the podcast about the people behind the products that are winning hearts and filling carts. This cast is for anyone with an interest in the world of consumer products. We're your hosts, Justin Osborne and Alex Hill, and our mission is to bring you weekly content that helps you be a better and more informed CPG professional. Dear listeners, welcome back to another episode of Hearts and Carts. You got Alex here, I'm here with Justin, and we're getting ready to meet with an exciting entrepreneur from the west side of Canada. Justin, who are we chatting with today? On today's episode, we have Karen McCarthy, who is the co-founder and CEO of Lumi Foods, formerly known as Blue Heron Creamery. Anyone in the you know Vancouver Lower Mainland will know the name very well. Fantastic dairy-free cheese products that are available save on food locations across BC and Alberta. And she gets into some great details about the manufacturing process, starting the company, her background, a really great story for us uh, on the show that I'm really excited to share with you guys. Yeah, Karen's a pioneer. This is a great episode and really interesting story for anyone who wants to, to understand something about kind of the cutting edge of one of the main plant-based categories. Guys, if you haven't already, please give us a like and subscribe on either Instagram or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the content, we'd love it if you could give us a review. Five-star review goes a long way on either Spotify or Apple Podcast. And lastly, on LinkedIn, please engage with us. Feel free to shoot us a private message or, or comment on the episodes if you're enjoying them. We love feedback and uh, fan mail. So if you want to send us uh, fan mail, uh, we will we will accept that. Other than that, guys, let's have a great chat with Karen. Get that cheese. We gotta get that cheese. We gotta get that cheese. Karen, how are you? I'm okay. How are you guys? I'm good. Nice to be chatting with you again. Nice to, yeah. nice to see you on camera. And you, this is this is my co-host, Alex. This is my better looking half on the podcast. Great to meet you, Karen. Nice to meet you, Alex. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. How's everything in Vancouver? Uh, it's, well, it's, you know, it's busy. We're, yeah, we're in a, we're in a busy period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I can see that, but you know, Alex is on the East coast and it's like minus 30 there right now. So like, yeah. we, can't, we can't complain oh, yeah. about that at least. No, <laughs> I mean, what we had snow like a couple days ago and then it's gone immediately. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's Vancouver cold. <laughs> <laughs> jealous. I'm jealous. Vancouver cold. Life's good. But, um, anyways, thank you for coming on and, and taking time to chat with us. Really appreciate it. And yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and I think I took up like you know we chatted a couple of weeks ago, probably like forty five minutes. Yeah. So this is like the second Saturday morning I'm taking up 
picking up of yours. So sorry about that. But <laughs> no um, worries. But let, let me introduce you and, and we'll get into it because I think you have a really, really cool story. So we have on the show today Karen McCarthy, who is the CEO and co-founder of Lumi Foods, formerly the Blue Heron Creamery. She's also the author of The Art of Plant-Based Cheese Making. As someone who lived in Vancouver and Mount Pleasant, she's a bit of a legend in that area. And I walked by the, the storefront every single, you know, every single day, walking my dog around that, that little block. So just a brand that always stood out to me, jumped out to me. And again, someone lived in lived in Vancouver and worked for a vegan company. I've tried a lot of vegan cheeses and, and some are not so good. And yours is one of the ones that is really good. So I remember the first time I tried it and I think it was the, the herb and garlic one. I think I tried first and I was like, holy crap, that tastes like real cheese. That's really good. And so was always curious about it. And then I've, I've chatted with you at trade shows and on the phone and heard sort of about your process. And I just found it fascinating that the science behind it and everything that you've put into it. So I wanted to to share that with the listeners, but I think, you know, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. I think even before we get to any of that, well, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd love to go back to earlier in your career. Like, what did you do? How did you get to this point? What was your journey like before you even started a company? Wow. Yeah. My <laughs> one, I want to say just thank you for recalling the, the memory of the storefront on main street. Cause that was yeah. a really special spot for us. Um, that was a, that was a big, deal at the time when we got that open my career path has not been straightforward or <laughs> linear those are the best ones <laughs> it's not like i was a little girl and said i'm going to be a vegan cheesemaker one day <laughs> <laughs> i was very much at that time thinking i was going to be a marine biologist you know the hundred other things that happen before you before you eventually end up wherever you're at um food's always sort of somehow been in there because I just how I grew up my my mother's family having farms in Saskatchewan my the vegan thing shouldn't surprise me or be a surprise because by nine I'd already decided I wasn't going to eat meat anymore <laughs> announced it boldly to my parents as such and <laughs> so by 12, my mom had told me, you need to you need to learn how to cook because I'm not cooking multiple meals. So somehow <laughs> food is actually always, and, ve and you know, vegan, vegetarian foods, somehow actually played a pretty significant role in my life from pretty early on. But career track-wise, uh, the, the closest thing that gets me to, to where Blue Heron started was I'd been working as a chef for a number of years uh, when I left university. And at managed by 2013 to be able to marry the career track as a chef to my to my personal ethos of being vegan and so I was the executive chef of a restaurant called Gray's and wanted to offer something for guests that wasn't really available in stores and that was a like an artisan quality cheese alternative and so I couldn't find anything in stores that I wanted to put on our boards we had a kitchen garden and we grew <clears throat> most, we grew quite a lot of things, but we also made a lot of things. So we were fermenting and pickling and smoking and preserving. And so I started looking at how to create a cheese alternative for my menu. And the recipes online from the vegan realm were really unsatisfying and, and used a lot of gums and 
and I love nutritional yeast, but that that it wasn't what I was looking for. So I started looking at dairy cheese making methodologies. And that's really where taking a look at the science of cheese making and then figuring it and then understanding really what's going on there. And at its core, it's about the transformation of proteins through the use of enzymes and microbes and other processes. And then you get cheese. So it's legally the official definition is based on milk and casein specifically. Mm -hmm. But really the whole process of taking something like milk and converting it into an end product, it's not just about the milk. <laughs> it's yeah. about all the things you do in between. Mm -hmm. So how you make a gorgonzola is not at all the same as how you would make a cheddar or a brie. So I think that for me was sort of this <clears throat> huge mind opening thing, like, whoa, there's something to look at here in terms of of how to maybe do something in plant-based that will get me something I like. And that's so at Grace, that's what we did. I made my very first legit blue cheese at Grace <clears throat> with the molds and I mean the perforations. And we used to make our own vegetable ash to make ash rinded cheeses that then we would then grow bloomy rind on. And so from there, I was invited to write a book about cheese making. <laughs> how does um, how, and how does like how did that happen? Like so, we were my sous chef and I. We were actually serving a small bite at the gal, the annual gala for the Vancouver Farmers Market. It was the ripe gala. There was a couple hundred people there, and I was we were plating, and my sous chef turned around and said, "Somebody here wants to talk to you about writing a book." <laughs> <laughs> so really just that <laughs> wow and he took the card i said yeah just put it over there <laughs> all i'm looking up and seeing is this continuous stream of people and thinking this this is not the time to stop and <laughs> yeah. have a chat about that, that, that is one version of compliments to the chef i have not heard before <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. it was so unexpected it was not anything i'd expected it was seemed super well it felt super random <laughs> yeah so it took me another couple of weeks before, like, I sort of, you know, they, they eventually sent me an email and then we sort of went from there. And through that process of doing the research for the book and then the closing of grades, but all of this curiosity that had arisen around the cheeses that we had been producing there, that just led me to having to make a decision. Do I stay on the chef track or do I do something about the cheese making and that's what eventually led to blue heron in 2017 <laughs> yeah and and i mean i guess to go back a little bit to when you started you know making cheese like how long did it take you how many different versions of the cheese because i imagine that you're doing something that hadn't been done before and so it must have been difficult uh it was difficult not i mean parts were difficult but once so trying to understand specific proteins and trying to find cultures. And then at the time, mostly working with whatever cultures we were already sort of working with in different fermentation and applying them. I, I guess it just didn't feel difficult mm -hmm. to me. I'm curious, so I like to investigate. So it didn't feel hard. And because I was looking at it like an equation that made it somehow easier. So it's like, okay, mm. that set that up, test that, that didn't, what variable didn't work, test a different set of conditions. Yeah. And so 
so it didn't feel difficult and it didn't actually take us that long to get to something edible and tasty so yeah like the the first the first thing we made that was it was soft and creamy very typical of what you would expect a cream cream cheesy style thing and then it was the more difficult part is the replication and consistency and behavior that's when you're working with cultures that becomes more of the challenge and yeah. i got very very lucky like a young woman named katie had been working at a different restaurant in the city and had heard that I was doing fermentation. And so it asked to come and stage with me because she wanted to learn about culturing. And so I was very fortunate in that I basically had someone a couple days a week who was specifically there just to help me execute experiments. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so that certainly helped. <laughs> and and you said so you said you were using cultures that were on hand. So does that mean it's it's different types of cultures you need to use in in your process than what you'd maybe use for like a case in milk uh, product? You just asked me probably my favorite question of all time, Alex. Anytime. Love it. I Love back to and there you go. Let's do it. <laughs> so that's the thing at the time. And, and you guys can feel free to be at any point because no, this please. is really where I will tangent like crazy. But so at the time and just in the learning process, most of well, the vast majority of dairy cultures that are used commercially, they are not, uh, they're not grown in a way that allows for you to say this is a vegan product. But never mind, most of the species of the bacteria used there may not work with plant material super well, just because their their genes have gotten rid of some of the mechanisms they might need to digest certain sugars. Yeah. So... I hadn't gotten that far yet in my investigation, but I was already working with water kefir. We were already making that in-house. We were already making our own kombucha. We were making rejuvalac. Rejuvalac mm -hmm. is probably one of the most common places people in cultured vegan cheese making start. It's a, it's a lactic acid bacteria and enzyme rich fluid that's produced from sprouting grains or seeds. And and most commonly wheat berry, but you can sprout quinoa and make a rejuvalac. A colleague of mine in the vegan cheese sector who's, who's thriving, my friend at Margaret at Nuts for Cheese, they still mm -hmm. use a rejuvalac-based culture. And so we started with that. We also started with th those layers of cultures because they were easy to produce, easy to have on hand. But I've eventually, I eventually found there's sort of limitations there with them in terms of the things that I was looking to do. So in terms of really, in, there, in the world of dairy cheese, there's thousands of varieties. Mm -hmm. And from Telegio to, and things you've never heard of and, mm -hmm. you know, things that have such crazy random aging conditions. But a big, big part of achieving all of that is the different species of bacteria that can help yeah. amplify aroma change the texture by how fast they do something or the enzymes they produce and because the cultures have been iterated many times they're really ready for that job when you're working with wet cultures that aren't as well understood yet you're all and i'd have no i love variability but consistency can be really hard or yeah. trying to figure out what part of all of that is doing the real work so I very much wanted to get to a place where for vegan cheese making, there could be a similar set of tools. Mm -hmm. And 
those tools still don't really exist, although folks are working on them, and including us at Lumi, and that's a big part of where we are looking at for future, uh, is developing culture sets with bacterial species that really want to do the work on plant materials. Yeah. Now, some some species coming from the dairy realm do work on plant materials. We, through our own investigation, have identified a number that do pretty well. But some just don't. And trying to make them always do that, that yields really unsatisfying outcome. So for what I found, for instance, and with plant material as opposed to like cow's milk, and even though there's lots of variability there, almond, cashew, oat, buckwheat, whatever you're working with, if you take the same culture and the same amount of culture, it does not produce the same kind of results across those mediums. <laughs> right? So if you make yeah. almond cheese and you use X amount of culture, and then you make a cashew cheese and use the exact same culture and all the same conditions, you're not going to end up with the same kinds of products. Like yeah, you're not going to have the same flavor. You're not going to end up with the same texture. So it's that combination of understanding the protein and behavior of your your base material and the way the culture behaves in it. And I, I guess like culture, like, cause I, I don't, I'm not in this space. So cultures, when you buy them, I'm assuming you're usually getting multiple enzymatic strains within any given culture. Right. So it's like you said, you don't know which one's the one that's really enjoying the process of converting your, your, your raw material within the overall mix of things within a culture? Is that? No, that's not true, actually. Not from okay. commercialized cultures. So when you're buying, like for dairy cheesemakers, buying commercialized cultures, yeah, there's a, there's several culture houses in the world that produce most of the commercialized cultures that are utilized. But generally, you all see on the packet the list of species that are included. Yeah. You may not know the ratio to which they're included, but it's not ran like this is where it is a bit more precise and more refined than just using Rejuvelac. Yeah. Is that you know, okay, those three species. And then based on the spec sheet, you you would be you would know the kind of enzymes they produce in fermentation. And the spec sheet will show you their acidification rates and when the drop-off starts and when these things happen. And you can purchase sometimes single species as got well. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, yeah. For you, it must be, it must have been like a Venn diagram of like, this works with cashews and this yes. works with almonds. And like, this one has these three strains and this one has these four. Yeah. And it's, it's like finding the overlap and yes. kind of, yeah. It's, it's exactly, cool. that's exactly what it's been like. We, we chose, and it's ironic, my, my, my book because I was designing for the home user, very much heavily focuses on the use of Rejuvelac and water kefir, because for the home user, those are very easy things to work with and, and have on hand. For the person who wants to make vegan cheese at home and be fully committed to the vegan part of the process. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but commercially, we've stayed away from just using probiotic capsules like others use, because yeah. again, you can't, one, most of the species in those are designed for your interior. They're related to your microflora. Mm -hmm. So they're not really the species that are doing work at the meta or the meta level out here with food. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily amplify flavor. You get acidification, but you're not really using it to go, that's how I get really great flavor or that's yeah. how I get mm -hmm. that compound. 
uh, you're, you guys would be familiar with that buttery note that sometimes some cheese has, like that mm-hmm. is, smells yeah. buttery and rich and creamy. Yeah. Well, that's from a compound called diacetyl. And that, that's only, that only comes from a couple of species in a certain way. And it's not, so you're not going to achieve that very readily when you're using something as broad as, as a probiotic capsule. That's, yeah. That's why then you will see other things like nutritional yeast added or mm. other flavors added to sort of round out what the acidity that occurs. So the big thing for me became very quickly about how do we focus on plant material and on different species of bacteria that do things in relation to that plant material. And mm-hmm. so, and that works ongoing. It's like, that's still like, there's not an end state. And now it's becoming a bigger part of a global focus in this arena. So I'll stop. I can babble. I can no, babble keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but last year with Lumi Foods, we were very fortunate to, to uh, lead a consortium through a, a body called Protein Industries Canada. That body is an innovation supercluster here that's designed to create stimulate innovation and collaboration in the plant protein space here in Canada and a key part of our project was to work on the development of starter cultures specifically for the the b2b side business to business side of the ve- cultured vegan cheese sector so we've been working with the university of alberta around this and and in fact, today I've got to I got to dive into some stuff from our 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 partner over there that we're working with uh, to look at the reports. Um, and so the steps following that, we've identified some species that haven't already been used in cheese making, but are showing good results in terms of protein protein breakdown and plant materials. And and so now, just looking at the next steps of the project, which is to test different combinations on more complex substrates. So it's been the whole, I think while cheese has been the thing that I eventually fell in love with, I think it's the problem solving that's been probably the sort of meta love. (laughs) Yeah, it's very cool. It's like the very cutting edge of one of humanity's oldest, oldest, you know, food processing practices, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, she, like they found cheese in Egypt that was three thirty five hundred years old or something wild like that. And like, alcohol and yeah, it, it's like exactly. So fermentation, fermentation is sort of getting to live its day right now, and a lot of that's focused on the very high, the higher tech applications. But this culturing side, which is starting to finally be realized how important it is, mm-hmm. is really starting to come up. And so I'm I'm looking forward to see how that can really play out more because cheese is still that really that big romantic thing for a lot of people. It, people are emotional about cheese. <laughs> you can't blame them though. <laughs> no, but they get worked up about it in a way that if they take meat out of their diet for a bit, they don't get as worked sure. up about that. But my goodness, cheese gets people emotional. And so I think in terms of the food products on market, while it's a burgeoning sector and it's growing rapidly, I think we're sort of at 
end of generation two style products mm -hmm. and that really the next big leap has to be about like really focusing on that improved texture taste and diversity of product because there's there is still a you can't go and find five, like even 40 different styles of vegan cheese right now you yeah. can find like three or four mm -hmm. all sort of similar but not yeah. not what not in that really special different way that you can in a dairy cheese case interesting yeah i think that's that's very true and a lot of them are are similar and they're similar in a bad way they're not great tasting right so i think there's there's some work that can be done there and uh and a lot of them are like the you know shreds and things like that that are that to your point if you are going from eating cheese to that it, that's a tough transition so i think there's yeah and i think that's there. and i think that's had an impact in the market i mean i think everybody has Anybody that's working in CPG is aware of what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a pushback on plant-based and it started in a pushback against plant meat and the cheese sector is experiencing it. Those that got into market first are still having that opportunity to grow. But if you didn't get into the market by 2019, it's mm -hmm. a harder game right now. And, yeah. and that is because there's very little true brand loyalty and it's very much a try and buy sector right now from the consumer perspective. And and I don't blame people because because if you're going from that that other experience to a much more limited range of choices mm -hmm. that are all not wildly divergent, but also not really offering true diversity, then then that's a hard then that can be a bit of a hard sell. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, well, well said. Um, I found that fascinating because I know very little about cheese making, obviously. So that's super interesting to me. And I can kind of hear the passion in your voice, which is just cool. But I want to I want to go back to Blue Heron when you started the company, what that was like. So because you, you you were a chef, you had this great product and you kind of said, hey, I was going to either go down the chef path, continue down that or start my own company. You chose to start your own company. So maybe walk through like how how you did that and then what your sort of like first year was like. Yeah, that was um <clears throat> that was a that was a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> Again, was it something that a lot of people are like, I want to own my own business and I know yeah. I want to do that. And they don't care if it's selling dishwashers or or yeah. doohickeys or yeah. whatever. They're just really clear that they want to be doing that. Uh, mine came very much more accidentally and then having to sort of make a decision. Uh, so when the, I was the executive chef of a different vegan restaurant, when I was, when I had to make that decision and, and I had been sharing on Instagram as one does in this era about the cheeses and stuff like that. And Aaron Ireland who had mm -hmm. bought my cheeses before and supported them had made a post one day about the cheese and suddenly my inbox was full of like can i get some yeah she, so, if she likes your product you're in a good spot you're gonna get a lot of calls yeah touch. yes that is touch. And yeah. she's also a really wonderful human being uh so what that's that's sort of there's what really forced me to have to think about how do i what do i what am i doing i'm writing this book i have to do this research i have to make cheese but now i'm not going to eat all of how what do i do with it so initially yeah. it started off just as sort of cost recovery so selling some cheese you know in like basically from the basement sort of thing <laughs> insane <laughs> you know like yeah sure i just cool you know 
He's not quite having to have a password, but not borrow from it. <laughs> but then, I, then when I realized, no, I really, this needs to be more serious. I want to do this in a real way. I'd had an opportunity to connect with, uh, reconnect with a fellow who had been a guest of mine at Gray's. His name was Colin. And we had an opportunity to reconnect one of Aaron Ireland's events, actually. And from there, we just got to talking about what he was doing, what I was doing. And so Colin and I sort of joined forces and got a commissary space. And in that little commissary space were some of uh, Vancouver's like early you know, fermenting you know, top level brands, Hoochie Booch was in there, Spread em Kitchen was in there, Biota Fermentation was in there. Just sort of an accident of fate in some weird way. Yogu yeah. started in the same space. And so we started, yeah, we just started in a commissary. And when it, we realized we couldn't really do what we were doing there very easily or well, because the way we age our cheeses needs its own dedicated space and not shared space and all of those things. That's when we started looking for a space. And again, we had called a group of people together to talk about the prospect of maybe a group of us, a bunch of us fermenter types, maybe looking for a space to go in on together because we all work in fermentation. But everybody was sort of hesitant and not without reason because when, anyway, you have to think a lot about your microclimate when you're doing fermentation. Um, but one of the people that showed up Lisa Skelton, who used to be the owner of the Wallflower, she mm -hmm. had a space and she told us to come take a look. And so that's that's what got us to the storefront. The storefront itself was never the thing that I was planning. Like I wasn't planning to have a retail storefront. I I wanted a manufacturing space. <laughs> like I mm -hmm. wanted to focus on that. But Vancouver commercial real estate is crazy and we had very little capital <laughs> and yeah. hadn't yet put together a plan to, you know, really go and seek capital for that part of things. And so it happened. So we had the space and in order to get the license we had, which was limited food, we could produce food in that space and sell it from that space. So that is what we did. And, and then when we opened it, when we did open in, well, nearly five years ago, it's 2023. Yeah. So I guess here, you know, yeah, five years ago this month, it was well beyond what we were anticipating. The lineup was around the block we sold out in two hours it was i thought we'd have we'd have a, like maybe 20 people show up like mm -hmm. we were not anticipating the opening to be what it became and when i look at photos from that night still have a hard time believing that's what the opening was like yeah that's awesome running out of product yeah. is is stressful but it is such a good problem it's, it's such, problem so better have. than the opposite <laughs> yeah. yeah opposite well, problem. Yeah, well, at that time, that was really the golden time, 2018, 2019. And so that that was really the time to have been focused on taking it to the next layer. And I think for a lot of brands is not quite knowing when the timing is right to do that. And so, well, I won't lie. I think, I think, um, 
I think we should have pushed harder in the 2019 period to be like, okay, this was super cool, super fun. But now we really, we got to take that momentum and we've got to convert that now. Like now we've mm. got to, because there's, there's a built-in limitation when your production area is less than a thousand square feet. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so it was an incredible thing to do. Um, we I met so many incredible people. There's been so many amazing people that came through that door. And I think the store was really special for what it was doing at the time. It was it was the first standalone vegan cheese shop in Canada in that it wasn't <laughs> part of a grocery store. Like mm -hmm. Vegan Supply has a beautiful cheese counter. It wasn't a cafe. It was just, this is yeah. a cheese shop. This is it. This is what we do. So I think there was a lot that was really unique and special about it. And now you see like out in Ontario, Green Goddess from Marjorie has her standalone vegan cheese shop. And there's the OG in the United States that sells more than just an in-house brand, Riverdale. And they've been around for a few years. But in 2018, in Canada, we were that particular thing didn't exist in exactly that way. Yeah, very, yeah, very cool. And I, yeah, I didn't realize all the, the, the you know, processing was in that same shop because, yeah, it's a, it's a tight spot on. It's a great location for a storefront because there's tons of traffic on Main yes. Street in Vancouver, right? And like a good demographic for probably what you're going for. But for manufacturing, that's an expensive spot to have. So, yeah, not much space. Not much space. And, yeah, and when you look at price per square foot, like expensive. Yeah, really? Not, yeah. So there was, there was lots of built-in limitations to that. And so that that necessitated the move to look at manufacturing. Uh, and so that led to how we actually then became Lumi. We formulated a, a new a new company with a new partner with the mission to be, let's get a manufacturing space. Let's scale this up. Let's get ready for mainstream. We were, from my perspective, we were already a year and a half behind where I thought we should be or hoped we could be. <laughs> And then COVID came. <laughs> oh, isn't that isn't that wonderful timing? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that so we did got a facility and we scaled in the middle of COVID, and that's presented you know some not insignificant challenges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not yet. Completely unexpected, like huge event that completely changed consumption patterns in human behavior right they're like yeah how could you have ever seen that coming so and yeah exactly and lead times for commissioning equipment because yeah. yeah it had such a big impact on manufacturing of those yeah. things so when we were commissioning equipment the equipment we did want had like 30 to 40 lead times so you have to mitigate your build out plan and look at other things and so it, yeah they're a huge learning yeah 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 it's like you're basically having to find compromises that are acceptable and ones that aren't and yeah it's yes yeah. so it really just amplified all the normal sort of challenges you expect anyway mm -hmm. but it just it just amplified all of them simultaneously <laughs> totally. yeah. so it would that would that that's proved to be yeah seating good challenge <laughs> so over over 2020 you're you're working on scaling and getting manufacturing set up when did you guys start into retail 
not until August of 2021. So late 2020, we that's when we were able to sort of secure the financing for the for the facility and find a facility because finding a facility that wasn't going to be $40 a square foot in Metro Vancouver is very, very difficult. And so January of 2021, at the end of January, we took possession of our facility in South Surrey and they required some build out and some, you know, so you, it's not like you just walk in there and go, okay, production. <laughs> you, yeah. you have, there's things you have to do. You have to build out. And because we age our cheeses and culture them, there's environmental things we have to look at. Like how do you control humidity? How do you control temperature, airflow, those things. So, and sure in a small space, you can work with a tight team of three or four people. But now we have to scale all those processes and bring in new people who've never done this. It's not like mm-hmm. there's a pool yeah. of experienced vegan cheesemakers to pull from, right? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> not a big market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now you really have to find people mostly based on fit and then really teach on the fly as much as you can. And so we had initially been planning to launch retail sales, like big, re- we already had our independent clients and our boutique clients but we were planning to really aim for june of 2021 for retail but then the heat dome came oh yeah <laughs> so oh, yeah we used to, all all these like wild yeah things all the names that we're coming up with for weather by the way these days so we got all kinds of right. heat domes and right. you know, arctic rivers yeah, polar <laughs> vortex all I'm, kinds in a, of I'm, in a, I'm here in a polar, polar vortex right now yeah this i always i always in mind yeah, what is going on? I always remind people that these weather apps sell media, and the more they can get us to look, yeah, yep, they got some they got some great names now. This is way better than heatwave. It is. It is. Well, you know, polar vortex is a lot sexier sounding than Arctic outflow. Yeah, no kidding. Which is actually what called for years. Yeah, I know why they call it a vortex because that's actually what's happening. But yeah, that's. So then, so then the heat dome hit, and then yeah, yeah. and and yeah, yeah, in that year, that really did feel that was significantly was different sick. heat event than we've yeah. ever experienced, right? I mean, yeah. the horrific town of Lytton burning to the ground yes. uh, occurred. So truly, there was something different about that, yeah. mm-hmm. and it caused unanticipated. There was no way we knew what it was going to cause in terms of the effect on the facility. We, mm-hmm. we couldn't have known that. We couldn't have known that that heat dome was coming. It or what how was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So it that caused really significant challenges. And so it delayed our launch. We'd, we'd received an order, the invitation to join, to enter Save on Foods in March. And so the plan had been ready to have inventory ready for them or late March, early April. And so we planned to have inventory ready for early June. And we had to push it to August because mm-hmm. the heat dome caused several mechanical issues, environmental issues, product issues, like product quality issues. We had to do a lot of troubleshooting to sort of figure out how to sort things out. We found out that one of the cheeses that we dearly wanted to produce at scale are cormorant, but because we had to pull it because the way it's produced was causing problems for the other cheeses. Uh-huh. So the heat dome, again, was one of those like incubators of amplification. <laughs> yeah, you can't catch a break. 
this process. Oh, no, it really, it did really feel like getting punched in the throat. Because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we still, you know, we had just barely got our packaging in time and all of those things. So, uh, but August of 2021, which is not even two years ago, is when we launched into 182 Save On Foods deli counters. And then we had a six-month exclusivity with them. So, yeah. So that, we didn't really even, like, it was really a year ago we were even really getting to broaden out outside of Save On Foods and working with Horizon Distributors. So when you think about the time scale, it really wasn't a lot of time. That's not a lot of time. No. For I was going to say, <laughs> like whatever nine months between going for financing, finding your location, and then being at store ain't bad. Like not like, you know, there's a lot of launches that take a lot longer. Yep. Yep. I have a lot of, I have a lot of. What does a friend of mine call it? Hindsight hindsight bias? For sure. Um, Yeah. You know, there's probably ways we could have looked at some of what we were doing a little bit differently during that Mm -hmm. time. The pressure was on to get into stores and, and that's a real pressure when you're in the middle of it. And totally, totally. But just really challenging while you're trying to address like these, these things that keep coming. But, but we did it, <laughs> got there. And then we had also landed this. The interesting thing of the research project is that it didn't actually take up a lot of time away from the core activity. Uh, it actually managed to sort of just, we were able to keep doing this sort of on its on its side, on the side. The, the thing that we really, I would say the biggest learning in through this is that with that particular facility, we really learned about what type of production model would be right for the facility. Uh, and I don't know that we could have learned that without the doing part. Yeah. Like maybe we could have sorted it out a bit more precisely, but I don't know that we could have fully done it without the act of doing it to understand certain things like this the flow and cycle and the impact of like loads and loads of wet green cheese in the space and green cheese is the term for young cheese so i by by the some midsummer of this last year is when our production manager and i realized we needed we need a different model like we need to focus we need to like turn it on its head sort of thing mm-hmm. and that's what we have been working on to revise the model and even the focus of the style of the cheeses that we, we have a very large library. The mainstream market only sees a window into our cheese library. Our boutique partners see more of our SKUs because it's less complicated to work with the boutique partners than mainstream retail. But mainstream retail really only sees a very small window of the things that we've created and what we can do. And really, we really only managed really like I think from my perspective, get to share one of our very best versions of what we do with the launch of our West Coast cheddar in September, or I guess early, late November of last year. When it's a longer aged cheese, it's quite firm. It cuts like a, a cheddar does. It breaks like a cheddar does. You don't have to freeze it to slice it or shred it. And it's all its flavor comes from aging time and fermentation. 
And so I think we're at Lumi sort of in an interesting position right now in that we, we we're sort of reflecting on what we need to do and how we need to do things um, and what what our focus should be on. And so I think the last couple of years and the challenges we've faced have sort of led us into a place, okay, we need to we need to we need to take a look at what we're doing, how we're doing it. Yeah. Love it. It feels like you guys challenge yourselves to, to to get into market and like, you know, heat dome and everything else. You've kind of stress tested the system and you're just yeah. now iterating, right? Like, which is is super cool. Well, stress test, yeah, yeah that let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good way to frame it. Okay. <laughs> it's an excellent way. We'll do that. Cause it was it was that. And I, I think we're maybe we're maybe having some deeper, more radical thoughts internally about what the future might look like. We have did have been doing quite a lot of a substrate build work through that Protein Industries Canada project. We've done some early iterations of prototype cheese utilizing animal-free whey protein because there's a whole realm of fermentation applications happening in precision fermentation right now focused on creating proteins you would find in animals but not using animals mm -hmm. and so part of our work in, in protein industries canada had been not to be the producers of that work but to take that work and apply it and so we did do our first trials prototype trials making cheeses utilizing animal free whey protein and I will say this for me as someone who's been, well, one, I'm allergic to animal dairy, but as someone who's been vegan a long time and doesn't drink milk, the prototypes are way too milky for me, but the people we test, taste tested them with loved them. <laughs> Interesting. That's so great. I think, um, yeah, I think um, as that technology gets further along in terms of those companies being able to scale those types of ingredients in a way that will be cost effective for producers to utilize. Mm -hmm. And as producers learn the skills to with those things uh, and Health Canada officially approve that, that will offer a truly radical change in the vegan cheese marketplace. Uh, without question still may not people like myself ironically enough because i yeah. don't miss the taste of milk and i think there will still always be room for the 100 fully plant-based cheese product yeah. but i do think these other innovations are really gonna help that middle of the bell curve yeah. flexitarian or omnivore yes. be more accepting of of moving away from the animal egg consumption part of it yeah which which is a huge percentage of the population is like the flexitarian right that's when 100 you know, like when i was working at vega right that's always who we talked about because that's the large part of the population is is not people that are strictly vegan or plant-based but people that are mm. trying to incorporate more plant-based foods yeah. so the easier you make it for them you know it's food it needs to taste good so improving taste texture affordability availability like doing all those things will start to transition them and you know, if you get all those people to be plant-based five out of seven days of the week, that's a huge area of the population that'll have a massive impact. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's, it's amazing. Um, wanted to ask you because you are very sort of connected into the Vancouver 
startup world and and cool exciting products that are coming up and i mean you even talked throughout some of the founders you work with and and different products and what is a product right now for you that stands out to you as a real you know game changer exciting amazing brand that's that's maybe up and coming something that you love to consume or you just love what they're doing from a branding standpoint there's two one particular well for a lot of reasons uh kula foods i think is as a brand ethos as a brand as products is doing something i think is powerful um beautiful and delicious um so asha wielden is the ceo and founder of kula foods and she's doing something i think that in particular that the plant-based food sector has lacked for a while but she's bringing in an afro afrocentric focus on plant-based food and her work over the last couple of years of, of moving like really tightly focusing on what the right product to market it fit is for her and on her approach to it I think has been spot on in terms of she stayed really focused to her committed ethos she has another project that aligns with it called chop it up YVR with teaches cooking classes and brings joy back in and community but she makes this incredible pilly pilly sauce that you can find at London Drugs right now, or it should still be there the tail end of the okay. Veganuary. Honestly, it's so good. It's delicious. I put it in everything. And she makes an amazing barbecue sauce, but she also makes a number of plant meat alternatives, gluten-free ones that are just a really easy inclusion into meals for people that want to cook quickly at home on things. And I think from the overall package of what she's doing and her focus, I think that is what makes what she's doing unique and special and new. I, I was part of a plant, the Plant It Forward conference in Toronto in the fall, and the head of Metro a Grocers and the head of Kroger were speaking. And one of the things that's really come up from there and around plant base is a consumer demand for broader, a broader, a broader range of like different ethnic food types other than mm. burger and chicken nuggets and the, yeah, the head of metro said no more nuggets and burgers guys like no more stop it like <laughs> yeah, there's plenty true. of them you know people want to see like more again this this lack of diversity in some of the food so i think what asha's doing really offers a solution there in that way and i think save to see from Victoria. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, Aki's really lovely. Both Asha and Aki are lovely, amazing women. But I think what Aki's project is doing is really fun and special. Her branding's really great. Amazing. Uh, and I think, and I think with her product base is really highlighting like humble ingredient, like carrot, into a really beautiful way. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's that's I think she's doing something unique there and using it as an opportunity to highlight the, the struggles that the oceans are facing right now as well from climate impact and overfishing amongst other things. Yeah, two great examples and local examples too. So I love that as somebody relocated from Vancouver to the island. Yeah. When I when I saw them at CHFA, CHFA West, last CHFA West. I saw them. You guys are based in Victoria. I was like, oh, I didn't even know we had very many Victoria entrepreneurs. This is awesome, island entrepreneurs. So, yeah, really, really cool product and branding, and 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 just different too. Very different. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And I said a year, I said it years ago to a, a friend of mine, because we used to make our own carrot locks to go with charcuterie boards. I said, one day someone's just gonna figure out that they should just make carrot locks as a product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And cool. so it was bound to happen. And I'm really thrilled that it was Aki who went for it. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, Kula, I'm... I haven't tried yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna head to London Drugs some point yeah and grab that for sure yeah the pilly pilly sauce like i i i do literally use it for almost anything like it's so delicious i'm gonna check that out um and her branding's beautiful like yeah it's like the packaging's beautiful like i took a peek as you're talking because i'm 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 in the east here and it it looks amazing looks great yeah yeah the packaging's gorgeous and i think i feel I feel honored to even get to know both of those women. <laughs> yeah. And so I thrilled to see them getting to, you know, rise through the ranks in the CPG world. Cause it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard game. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, Karen, our last question. Um, if you were talking to someone who was looking to get into that tough CPG game, <laughs> what's a little bit of wisdom you'd impart to them? Maybe one or two things that you'd, you'd want them to keep in mind as they go forward on a journey. Know your numbers, know your numbers, know your numbers. Know great your advice. numbers. Like the brand building part's super exciting and very important, but really, really like spend that time finding a good mentor to help you understand how to build a business model, to understand yeah. what it means to talk about a path to profitability, to understand what it means to talk about cost of goods. Uh, like, really really get comfortable with that language and and make sure that you know how to adjust things when those numbers are telling you things like that's that's hard and do a weekly cash flow update that's well, a good one. I mean, like yeah. do it do it every week schedule a day and take a look at your weekly cash flow coming in against all your anticipated expenses just do it every week make your sunday morning whatever yeah. when you're small you might be the person doing all of those things but <laughs> don't push it off don't push it off you need to do it sooner rather than later in the early years yeah that's that's fantastic advice know your numbers know your numbers know your numbers because it's it's and you and you also layered in the mentor piece because I think what we had, you know, past five years maybe that people didn't like people didn't understand yeah. how much money they were losing. They didn't understand the unit economics. They didn't understand a path to profitability. And now, unfortunately, a lot of those companies are really struggling, right? So I think that's the number yeah. one thing is is to find is to really understand that. And to your point, find a mentor that can teach you all. Finding these things, a mentor, right? Yeah. I can certainly say, and I'll be really frank, that in that 2017 to 2019 period, I really wish I had founded a mentor, like really someone who was really just going to like, let's really look at this part yeah. of things. And I've been very fortunate with some of the people I have now, but because hard things hard things happen to well-run things. Like it's yeah. like yeah. nobody's immune. Nobody's immune. <laughs> nobody's immune from any of it so for the young for i don't want to say young because you can be any age but for the beginning startup is a lot of people are going to yell at you about brand identity first i think that comes at in as a strong number two but number one is really have a yeah. clarity of focus with regard to what you're doing to begin with i love it well, thank you guys so much for having me on the show <laughs> thank you so much karen it was an absolute yeah. pleasure I, I love talking the science 
I'm not a scientist. So for me, it's, it's always new and, and cool. So I loved hearing yeah. that part of the passion and then getting into the yeah. business was also amazing. So you had a good instinct for the type of question to ask though. The thing is that there you go. like, yes. you don't have to be a scientist to sort of even get the, like, Oh, that's the thing that may be going on. <laughs> that yeah. political science degree I took. There's science in the name. There's science well, in the name. I also have one of those. So, <laughs> so appreciate it, Ken. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, see you at one of these trade shows coming up. And I've now I've got some new things on my shopping list now. So I'll be doing that awesome. with my with my weekend. That's how exciting my weekends are. It's just going and trying new products. <laughs> Mine isn't terribly different than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay, guys. Appreciate it. Nice catching up. All the best. Okay. Have a great weekend. Okay, have a good day. Take care. Bye. That political science degree has finally come in handy. <laughs> I love talking science with people because it immediately shows me how much smarter they are than me. Like as she's talking, there's like, I don't understand any of this, but that's also part of the podcast. Like we get to have people on the show that are way smarter than Alex and I, and we get to learn from them. It's, it's pretty great. like, I just thought it was so cool that they're doing something that humans have been, humans have been doing for literally thousands and thousands of years in new, exciting ways Yeah, that like have so much potential to change how we nourish ourselves, right? Which, you know, and, and potentially even how we how we draw our food from the environment, right? Like whether that allows us to bypass certain elements of the, you know, the the meat production industry, right? So I, I thought that was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, in, in terms of a key takeaway, I had a few. I mean, of course, I love what you said at the end about knowing your numbers. We've talked about this one in a few minutes. Yeah, know your numbers it. five times, I think, four or five. Yeah, yeah like, like she's 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 so unbelievably right. What I liked about her, because it's almost like a theme throughout the show. It's not one piece of advice, but it's I like how often she mentioned other people that either helped her along the way or other people that were doing really exciting things. She mentioned like five or six different founders. She mentioned partners that helped her. Like, I just like the way that she used her, um, you know, opportunity here with an audience to highlight some amazing things that other people are doing. I think that just shows like leadership and and someone that you want to work with. What about you, Alex? I agree with that. I think for me, one of the things that stood out about Karen is and I loved this is just the sheer passion and yeah, yeah. dedication for the creative act that she's been engaged in for the last you know, five plus years with kind of pioneering this, this new way of creating food and how, you know, and she said it, like some people look to start businesses, which is fine and great. But for her, it was like her passion. I mean, like, think about this, like, someone approached her even before <laughs> she was starting a business and said, can you write a book? Like the world. When's someone going to ask me that? That's what I'm waiting for. We're waiting, we're <laughs> it's going to wait a long check, time. <laughs> check, check, check your, uh, check your promotional email. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, the world, the, like, obviously, you know, vegan as a, as a category and, and plant-based as a category have been growing over the last 10 years. And, and, but the, you know, the world was a kind of, pulling her to to start this business which is really cool i think that i think i love that combination and and you know i really you know she talked about being adaptable 
which you know (laughs) lots of metaphors to the fact that cheese is a transformative process in itself but like you hear her talk about her business like this is a person who you know originally was just making cheese like as part of her her job at a restaurant probably had no thought about you know cpg margins and knowing her numbers Mm -hmm. eight years ago and and she's adapted and i really got a ton of respect for that as well so yeah really really thought it was a cool conversation and really cool learning experience uh for me so thank you karen yeah thank you karen that was that was awesome everyone else thank you for listening appreciate it hopefully you learned as much from karen as we did and just appreciate you as listeners of the show remember to follow like subscribe to our social media give us those five star reviews those are really really important to us and with that we will let you go we'll talk soon guys bye